Every week they talk about music coming into Milwaukee and music coming out of Milwaukee. Here's Evan Ritleski of 88.9 and Piet Levy of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. This is Tapped In. Welcome, welcome to Tapped In. I am Evan, that is Piet. Piet, thanks for joining me. How you doing? I'm doing great, Evan. Looking forward to taking a trip back in time uh, with Milwaukee music with you today. <laughs> yeah, we got something a little different lined up today. Uh, as you know, if you've been listening over the air, it is our spring membership drive. And for the last week, we have been celebrating on air the music of the 2000s and 2010s. It's been like a really fun nostalgia trip. We've heard so many songs I haven't heard in years. But that got us thinking, uh, what about the Milwaukee albums that were released during that time? Yeah, A long time in Milwaukee music history. And there have been some gems uh, released during that time. So this week uh, on Tapped In, we want to take a look back at a couple either personal favorites or overlooked or underappreciated Milwaukee albums of the 2000s and 2010s. And Piet, uh, you've got you've got a first pick for us, right? Yeah, I mean, I started working full-time for the Journal Sentinel as a music writer in 2012. So my knowledge base is really kind of the 2010s on. Were you from Milwaukee or did you move to the market in that time? Long story short, I graduated from college at Loyola Chicago in 2005 and my roommate was offered an internship suddenly and they were trying to pick that day the roommate had taken a job they talked me up talked to my editors and i got the gig the day i graduated from college oh, congrats. So, yeah it was awesome so that was the internship in 2005 and then loved it loved the staff and then when a full-time opening happened in 2012 many many years later i got the gig so um i know i know a little bit about milwaukee music kind of in the the later you know part of the 2000s the 2010s but 2010 on is kind of when i was paying closer closer attention mm -hmm. and king's go fourth was a band that i i definitely knew about because i was kind of doing a little bit of like Summerfest coverage and things like that as a freelancer um when they kind of broke out in 2010 2011 what an amazing fun soul band i was just listening to their album their, their one album unfortunately they're they're great one album the outsiders are back uh, yesterday and that album just holds up so well i mean it's just such a great fun soul band with some of the best players in town uh, cecilio negron jr and dave wake andy noble of course was kind of the big master behind that and black wolf an amazing vocalist signed to luca bot uh, dave burns label and man if, if they if they had kept it together i think they could have really dominated festivals around the world uh for years but it's it's amazing what they did accomplish it was such a great album for years, you knew in the scene that they were going to be big because they would drop a single and it was fire. And yeah. they were so well positioned for the time because at the era, there was that, that big soul revival. You know, Sharon Jones mm -hmm. had just blown up. And, and I love that Milwaukee had its own act that did this, but, but did it with like a Milwaukee spin. Like the sound mm -hmm. was like very like, it sounded like old Chicago soul and old Milwaukee soul. And they did it right, you know, with the, like the best players in the city and... It's just incredible. That album just... I was re-listening to it yesterday too, Piet, when you mentioned it. I'd, I'd forgotten about it. But re-listening to it, it was like lightning in a bottle. It still sounded so crisp. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really was. It's, it's spectacular. Always worth a listen. Uh, how long have you been covering music for? I, I, I know it's been longer than I have, so you probably have a better sense of the 2000s on in terms of what yeah, was really so good. Yeah, I, so I grew up in Milwaukee. I grew up in, in Milwaukee uh, kind of as a, as a little kid following the music scene in the 90s. And then in the 2000s, I moved back uh, as, as an adult or something close to an adult. And that was when I started uh, covering the city. I think I, I started covering Milwaukee music professionally in like 2006, 2007. And I'll be honest, it was a different time. It's, it's not to say there wasn't anything going on, 
but there was, I think it's safe to say, maybe a little less going on. And it was a little less publicized and a little less known about and certainly a lot less celebrated than it is now, which made uh, made covering walking music back then less fun. Um, it's just we, we didn't take care of our own the way we did now. But uh, that kind of brings me to, to the, the pick that I want to talk about first, uh, because this is one of the albums that, that started to make me really excited about what was going on here and its potential. And this is Prophetic's uh, album, Mo Profit, Mo Progress. And this was released in 2008, 2009, uh, at a time when, you know, there, there was stuff going on in the rap scene, but it was, it was different. It was like, on the north side, it was very club-based, and it wasn't getting much attention. And on the east side, it was like very very college-based and a lot of it just sounded kind of like the 90s not in a bad way there's some good acts doing some cool stuff but to me it was starting to sound a little bit stale and prophetic was one of the artists who came out and sort of said hey like milwaukee rap can sound contemporary and uh it can sound uh it can sound of the moment and exciting again um because he did sort of blend this uh the sensibilities of that like classic 90s ilmatic style rap uh, as well as like some of the like clubbier stuff on the north side, and uh, and he could rap. I mean, this this guy, he just a lot of people compared him to uh, Jay Z because he rapped with like that poise. Yeah. For a few years, uh, Pharrell was um, co-signing him pretty hard. Pharrell would uh, kind of plug him, and it was like, boy, this guy's got Pharrell's backing. What is going to happen? You know, it just gave you like something to root for. And I think people remember Prophetic. He had that uh, a radio hit with the. Um, Green and Yellow, his version of the, right. the the Packers song before Lil Wayne came out with his own. So yeah, Prophetic had some success, but when I, when I revisit this record, it just reminds me so much of that era and of all the potential that was introduced. You know, he was a member of the um, Umbrella Music Group with with Cash and Yodot to you know, a couple, couple other great rappers. It just like brings me back to this moment where it was like, hey, new energy in the rap scene. <laughs> this is what we needed. Yeah, I mean the Milwaukee. You're right. Milwaukee music scene has changed dramatically. The hip hop scene, especially, has changed dramatically. And the, the the success we saw in the 2010s when I was starting to cover Milwaukee music, from Webster X to Ishtar to like more recently with the Bakaya. I mean, it, it all that stuff would not have really happened. I feel like without people like Prophetic who really kind of paved the way of it. So, a uh, good pick for sure. All right, and we're going to continue this conversation uh, after the break. Stay tuned. Has your car been hibernating in your garage all winter? Donate it to Radio Milwaukee. Running or not, your car, truck, or even boat can support this podcast. Go to RadioMilwaukee.org slash cars to schedule your pickup. We're back. Tapped in. I'm Evan. That's Piet. And we are continuing our conversation about either our favorite or just overlooked or underappreciated Milwaukee albums from the 2000s and 2010s. And there are so many we want to get to. We both have big lists. We won't get to them all. Uh, no, no official ranking here. We're just just giving some love to some albums that deserve it. Piet, what do you, what do you want to discuss next? I definitely want to discuss because this was an album I like was like I felt like I was inside this album because I studied it so much for a lot of coverage I was doing. It was a repave by Volcano Choir, which came out in 2013, um, and I think that's an important album to to highlight. I mean, people might remember that mostly for Justin Vernon being a part of that. Like what, what I think was interesting was that, you know, Justin Vernon had, had come out with Bonavere Bonavere, became this huge star. 
In a way, his success was kind of a reason my editors of the Journal Sentinel thought they needed a full-time music writer. Because oh, wow. there, there were several years when there was not a full-time music writer just because of the industry and buyouts and all that kind of stuff. And at that time, the music scene in Milwaukee was really growing. And they felt like they were kind of at a disadvantage because Justin Vernon was getting so big and there was no full-time music writer to, to kind of really watch him. I mean, he was, we got to remember, I mean, he was everywhere with that second album and, uh, you know, made fun of on Saturday Night Live. I mean, it was just, I mean, he was just such a big deal. And what was amazing was that after that album came out, you know, he really kind of had, the, he could have done anything. And he decided to, keep, to play with friends and to keep doing projects with people that he loved from from Wisconsin, uh, including, you know, Milwaukee musicians like John Mueller and Chris Rosno uh, and Daniel Spack and, and, and Thomas Winsack. I mean, you know, these are, these are folks that are from here. You know, Vernon could have, you know, kept on doing, I guess, Kanye projects or whatever, but he wanted to really focus on, on doing things like this. And so the, the, the follow-up project was Repave um, after that, that Bon Iver album, and it's a really wonderful album. And I talked to all of them for that, and I remember Vernon stressed, and this is something that no one else, you know, a lot of people, national media didn't really pick up on it because they obviously latched on to Vernon. But Vernon really stressed, like, I didn't write any music for this. Like, I was not, he, I think he said, like, I wasn't good enough to write music for this. Like he just kept praising all the other members of the band and the, and the really beautiful epic music that they wrote. Uh, and, and he was just kind of happy to be kind of doing this with them. And it gave them an opportunity to kind of shine the spotlight. I thought they made some really good music. It really kind of showed how much all of them had evolved. I mean, I think it, it continued to have ripple effects mm -hmm. for Vernon's own career, but certainly for the other guys too, in terms of the projects they did. I mean, uh, Collections of Colonies of Bees, uh, which Rosno is still a big part of. I mean, that's changed dramatically and kind of feels like an evolution from Volcano Choir. Yeah, and he'll he'll say that he'll say that too. I mean, that that it did they became a little bit more of a pop band. You yeah, know, they started sort of as an experimental instrumental thing, and then eventually they sort of started to embrace sort of that um, you, that that sound of the Volcano Choir album. I'll say I think that second Volcano Choir album is the best thing Justin Vernon's ever done. Wow. And I don't say that lightly. I, I like those first two Bonavir albums, especially the second one. But after that, um, after after this Volcano Choir album dropped, his earlier record sounded anemic to me. You know, like this Volcano record, Choir record is just so massive and so full and so rich and so textured. It's like the perfect blend between like just the instrumental coolness of that band and then just like the the songwriting chops of Vernon. Well, I guess he didn't write the songs, but the melodic chops of Vernon. Uh, it still sounds incredible to me. Yeah, no, it really does. It really kind of, it was a great moment in time for all of them where they were just in this, you know, Vernon was a huge star and, you know, he was starting to kind of figure out his next steps and uh, did it with, with, his, with his best friends. Um, and they made amazing music together. I don't know if we'll ever see Volcano Choir do anything together again. I would love to see that, but if not, this was a wonderful album to kind of leave. I'm, I still got, I've still got my fingers crossed. I feel like yeah. you, you can't put out a record that good and not follow it up. That is, oh, I, I'm with you. It is not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. I hope so. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. So my next pick. Um, this is a record I bonded with deeply, and also one I discovered after the fact. As we're saying, I think I started covering Milwaukee music 2006, 2007. It's a record I found used for a buck <laughs> at Price Books. And uh, this is uh, Decibeli's City of Festivals, which came out in 2004. And of course, Decibeli was a big band from Milwaukee, maybe along with Maritime, probably the, the biggest indie rock band of the 2000s. 
They were on a, a good label, Polyvinyl, which is like exactly the label you would have wanted to be on at that time. And they recorded several great, great records. Um, and this is, I think, the first of like three great records that they recorded. And I, you know, bought it for a buck <laughs> in like the late 2000s and just kept it in my car for years. It's still in my car, like in my glove compartment whenever I need it. Um, and it, it, it sounds like, it sounds a lot like the best indie rock of the time. You know, yeah. it's it's rich, it's warm, it's got an exploratory feel. Uh, it's it's lush with backing vocalists and and hints of country and you know it sounds just like like a great Saddle Creek record might have maybe a little bit more Midwestern specifically but um, but I, I love it because the content really as as the the album title says it's called City of Festivals it's named after Milwaukee and it is about Milwaukee in a lot of ways the the songs that they write about are about sort of the ins and outs of, of being a young single person or single adjacent person living a life of low responsibility in a city like Milwaukee and on a big lake surrounded by your friends uh, and just sort of like feeling like you're maybe not living up to all your potential, but like you're so coddled and comfortable and you've got all these comforts around you. You've got the city of festivals around you. Why would you want to leave? Like there's literally songs about like wanting to leave, but not being able to leave. Um, and Decibully would continue to write about this, you know, pretty much for their, the rest of their career. Uh, they just kept writing these, these beautiful albums, just so specific to the Milwaukee experience. It's not like they name check Leon's or something. It's not like that yeah. literal, but I think if, if you were a young person sort of bopping around the city in the two thousands, I feel like, I feel like you saw yourself there. If you were a service industry worker, if you spent a little bit too much time at the bars, like these these were songs about the way you lived. Yeah, no, that's a great description. Wow. No, I, I think, yeah, you're right. It, it, in a way, it's kind of like a Milwaukee coming-of-age record because you're right, it's about, you know, life for probably 20-somethings that are just kind of, you know, coming into their own a little bit and they're in a new place and they're, you know, but at the same time, do they leave this new place? Or are they outgrowing it? It's just, it's an interesting kind of, yeah, kind of crosshairs of life sort of way. Uh, that wasn't as eloquent as what you said, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good album. I think we should mention too. I mean, there's some amazing players on that album. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should definitely mention Nick Sanborn. I mean, you know, Nick Sanborn was on there and obviously he's, you know, they all, all the guys have done really great things. Uh, even, even like, uh, in the restaurant world, <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, Nick Sanborn is still like a very big deal in the music world, uh, being, you know, one, one half of Sylvan Esso, which is still, you know, packing festival stages and playing big theaters and, and still definitely like a top, you know, a top tier touring act. Um, so, so good for him that, you know, which again, Sylvan Esso would not have been possible really, uh, if, if he didn't really kind of get his chops here with Deciboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what you got next for us, Piet? You had you had a couple cool, slightly more recent picks. These are maybe freshest in my mind, but I, I don't want them to get overlooked because when we think about like the 2010s, I'm sure people kind of tend to look back. But there were some that there were some at the end that I think need to really be really admired and, and kind of talked about. Yeah, like for a while. what are what are the ones where it, like it roils you that they're not more loved? <laughs> the records <laughs> well, you listen to where you're like, why don't more people love this the way I do? The, the one for sure, the one album, any Milwaukee album I think I've ever heard that doesn't get as much love as it as it should, and I don't know why, and maybe you can help explain it to me, is, is Fortune's Darling by Lady Cannon, which came out in 2019. And it, it got, you know, got some local attention. Uh, Martha Cannon 
Um, she hadn't released an album since I think 2012 or something like that. And you know, the narrative was, you know, she she went through I think a divorce and was kind of struggling to make music. And you know, kind of with with encouragement from the musicians, finally did. Man, that album is such a, just it just kills me every time. I was listening to that one again this morning. And there's just so many wonderful details in there. It's, it's really, it really comes across like like a divorce record in a lot of ways. Like like a, a you know a woman, a person just trying to kind of find herself. There's an amazing line in one of the songs where she says something like, uh, you know, I, I I'll give you back your keys when when I can find the courage for you to have your eyes on me. And and all <laughs> all her songs have such amazing like rich details like that. Such uh, just kind of like quietly devastating and heartbreaking you know, pieces of real life. It feels so real and, and lived in. And oh, she's just such a great songwriter. She's obviously doing great things in, in Le Resort with uh, Vince Kircher from Jail, who obviously has done amazing things himself. And their, their new band, they're incredibly prolific and do some really great songs. But this Fortune's Darling album, wonderful. Like so, so good. And it just, it just never got the love it, it deserved. And I don't know why. It's excellent. I feel the same way. I mean, if you if you ask me honestly, I think most artists come close to finding the the, the audience they deserve. And sometimes it's lower than we'd like, but that's just the way the industry is. But but occasionally there's a songwriter so good where you're like, boy, <laughs> they need to break. And and I feel like yeah. Martha Cannon is as pure of a songwriter as there is in the city. I mean, she just writes with such a distinct point of view. Her words are so incisive. Her voice is is just so heavenly and soothing, but her lyrics are so scathing, and her her take on the world around her is just so perfect. Like, did you do you listen to her, her, the first Lady Cannon album, uh, Whiskey Dear? Did, did you? Fall I, I that did, one? I did. I'm not. I don't know it as well as Fortunes Darling. Once I heard Fortunes Darling to review it, I just couldn't stop yeah. listening to it. I mean, typically I'll go through albums really fast because there's oh, just so course. much I need to listen to. But that one, I just kept coming back to. I just treat treat yourself it. to to Whiskey Dear too because it's it's. It's as good. Uh, the song, the songs are as sharp, and it was the same. I had the same thing you had, Piet, where I just I fell for it so hard. The first time I, I heard her, I think it was at like, um, uh, what's that River West bar with the back room? I'm forgetting. I'm sorry. It was just in River West. She was just playing a free show. And I just heard that voice, and I was like, oh my god, that is a yeah. voice. And I listened to the songs. I was just blown away. And uh, it is funny, you know, her her songwriting point of view has changed a little bit. On Whiskey Deer, it was a lot of uh, I'm bad news. I destroy relationships. Uh, on on uh, Fortune's Darling, it's it, her perspective's changed a little bit. It's a little bit more like, you know, the the world doesn't treat women fairly. <laughs> yeah, you know, yep. it's 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 cruel. The the expectations on me are cruel. The double standards are cruel. There's it's funny. Her her lyrics are are witty. They've got like a witty bite to them, but they're also really tragic. And, and yeah. she's she's like one of those rare songwriters who can kind of make you chuckle and, and wince and feel terrible at the same time. I just Absolutely. think uh, it's just really a gift she has. We are not overselling these records either. No. If you, if you no. haven't heard them, um, I think it's safe to say if, if any of that sounds, if you're into singer-songwriters at all, I don't think we need to qualify it beyond that at all. Uh, I, I think uh, other people will fall in love with these records. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. And and yeah, I think I think these last few years, I think the Milwaukee music scene has just gotten better and better and better. And and the songs and albums have come out. 
Um, a very quick shout out to like Summertime Songs by Field Report, who Chris Porterfield just kind of kept growing and growing as a songwriter and became more compact as a songwriter, but more impactful, mm-hmm. I feel like. Uh, and that album in 2018, so good. And also Noise by Classic, that came out like right at the end of 2019. So I think that got overlooked too in terms of like year-end lists and probably decade in review lists. But man, I mean, Classic is probably the most ambitious artist in the city and sometimes, uh, sometimes to a fault. But I feel like Noise was like where he really lived up to those ambitions and did something that just really kind of blew me away. It's uh, it's funny you lump those two together because, uh, you know, I've, I've been covering Milwaukee music for a long time. Those are two artists who are just always staples of like my year-end best Milwaukee albums of the year list for sure. almost a decade each. You know, like uh, every time they would drop an album, it was on there. They were just just that consistently good. Yep. And it's it's been awesome to see them them both grow not repeat themselves. You know what yep. I mean? I think each, each field report album feels different from, mm-hmm. uh, from the last one, which I, th- I think is, is really important. They, they didn't forever get sort of lumped in with that, you know, early Bonavera movement, the Lumineersy kind of folky thing that was big for a while, but kind of faded. No, they've like, they've kind of found ways to, to stay creative, stay new. I've appreciated that in classic too. Uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the rappers I loved in the city around that time, have sort of their profile is lowered or they've sort of dialed it back a little bit classic is one who is like still in there you know his thirst for new sounds is is uh unquenchable yeah absolutely he's getting better and better i can't wait for his next project uh what's what's one one more thing or a couple more things you want to shout out i know i've got got this like list in front of me that's just like barking at me like mention them all evan (laughs) uh i won't uh but i'm going to mention one that um to me, really feels like a classic. Uh, and, and granted, it's it's on a small scale. But in 2011, uh, a young punk band called Absolutely dropped an album called Learns to Love Mistakes. And I remember queuing it up and just smiling. And first song ripped, the second song ripped, the, the rest of them ripped. And I was just yeah, wow. so blown away. It was um, sort of a hodgepodge, you know, different styles of punk. You know, there was some uh, some math rock, some post-hardcore, uh, you know, some slightly more experimental stuff, some grungy punk. Uh, it was like a, a little sampler, little sampler flight, different styles of punk you might like. And I remember thinking at the time, this sounds like one of the best Milwaukee punk albums I have ever heard. And here we are a decade later, and I was uh, re-listening to it for, for this podcast, and I go, yep. This still sounds like one of the best Milwaukee punk albums I've ever heard. Um, didn't didn't uh, make a huge mark. I don't want to like say it was important or anything. I, I think it's safe to say, in fact, it wasn't. Uh, absolutely continued to make some records, but sort of in a different lane. Um, it kind of got a little more, a little moodier. Um, it just uh, it didn't have that same immediate bite. Still cool records. Still like an underrated band. Um, but uh, learns to love mistakes. Boy, if you're a, a punk fan, you you can do a lot worse than find this on the next Bandcamp Friday. I I say. Oh wow! No, thanks for the tip. I mean, I, I there's been a lot of great punk that's come out of Milwaukee in this last decade, but that one that one just totally I did not I've not heard that one. So thank you for telling me about an album I need to check out right away. Want, want me to to burn off the rest just on the tip of my head? <laughs> Please do. I don't I don't want to get in trouble because uh, I didn't like research this. So I I'm going to leave out like really good stuff. But but just a few. Everything Altos recorded. Holy cow. Group of the Altos or Altos. Incredible records. Head on Electric. Underrated little band. Uh, Lorne. Remember those like cool experimental oh, records? Yeah. 
Lauren used to make when he was part of Milwaukee. Oh my God, were they good? Yeah, Vic and yeah. Gab. Oh, sure. Back when they were Vic and Gab, great records. Yeah. Still great records as Reina. And then, and then, then we Raina. start to get into the ones where I'm like, eh, you know, these these people get so much love. Like, does Solo need another shout out? Yeah, why not? Solo's great. <laughs> does, <laughs> sure. Those Milo records that Milo recorded when he's in Milwaukee, masterpieces. I, I can't even pretend they're overlooked or underappreciated. They're not. They people know they're great, but they're still great. Uh, I'm I'm going to stop now because there's there's too many others. But um, it is funny, Piet. This this whole exercise, it, it it just to me, it's like illustrated how lucky we are to be covering Milwaukee music now. You know, like uh, in, even in the 2000s, I swear there was good stuff, but it was it was hard seeing it not find an audience and not not get celebrated, not get written about in the Journal Sentinel not get played on the radio, you know? And uh, I think musicians carried with them this this sense of frustration. How could you not internalize that at some point? You're, you're playing shows and it's just for some drunk people at a bar and there isn't buzz and your labels aren't really paying attention in Milwaukee. It's just, it must have been really hard. Not that it felt that way at the time, but it, it just it just must have been hard. And, you know, these, these last 10 years... With, with people paying attention, celebrating, making lists like these, uh, your year-end list every year. It's cool. Pe- people are getting their flowers in real time now. And I feel like that's like such a change for the city. It's awesome. And I just I just think it keeps getting better and better and better. You're right. And we're, we're absolutely privileged and lucky that we get to cover local music. And uh, it's a great local music scene and, and one that's just going to get brighter and brighter. I feel it. Especially now with, with this pandemic kind of coming to an end. These artists are going to start kind of ramping it up again, I feel like. I just think we're in store for some real treats coming up. Oh, I hope you're right. Well, thank you for indulging me on this trip down memory lane. Uh, you can check out all of Piet's articles. And as I say every week, there are so many. He writes so much at JS Online. You can follow us at RadioMilwaukee.org and find this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tapped In is produced by Kenny Perez. Our handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab. And of course, because we are in a membership drive, I can't plug this enough. If you're able to donate a couple bucks to Radio Milwaukee, it helps so much. You can do that by going to RadioMilwaukee.org slash donate. Piet, I will see you next time on Tapped In. Thanks, Evan. See you next time.